In the past year, I've talked with tons of folks. While many have been optimistic and hopeful for the future, few have radiated as much joy and happiness as my guest this week. A husband and wife team from London, they spend most of their time in Southern Asia working on their brand Story MFG, a brand that for many has become one of the most talked about and admired, not only for their incredibly bold and beautiful designs, but also for how they approach their entire business. My guests both have strong convictions in how they want to better the planet and educate their consumers in the meantime. And no, it's not just a blurb on their website. It's their whole life. They're setting a new standard for sustainability and commerce. My name is Jeremy Kirkland, and this is Blamo, a podcast exploring the world of fashion with the people who shape it. My guests this week are Saeed and Katie Aurubiyi, founders of Story MFG. We discuss how Story MFG emerged out of their relationship, the power and burden of being a small brand, dealing with critics, making things look not perfect, and how I believe they're changing an entire industry with their aesthetic and ethics. Have you all been just kind of keeping yourselves occupied? Um, the first lockdown, it's strange to talk about like first, second lockdowns and stuff because everybody's timelines are so different. Like every country's right. reacting differently every, everywhere. But when the UK went first went into lockdown, right at the beginning, um, we, we, were ex- we, we became extremely busy with um, manage, like managing things because we, it happened just after like women's wear collections had sold and sun and then, and like quite some time after men's wear ones had sold for autumn winter. And suddenly all of the retailers that we sell to went into panic mode. And even though there's agreements in place for everything about not canceling orders and not changing them, um, as soon as the pandemic hit, um, People just panicked, didn't lot, they? like, yeah, buyers and, and places started panicking. Some just suddenly went out of business. Things went, Really, things are really difficult. So all of us um, in the business, all four of us, um, we're, su- we're suddenly like changed into like managing how we're going to like te- like get through this the first two weeks or whatever. And then our agents were trying to manage those relationships, and so we, we were extremely busy. And then it got really quiet, and then it got really really busy again. And um, it's, yeah, it's just been ebbs and flows. I don't think I think we had like a two or three week period where everything stood still. Um, and then now this second lockdown's come around, it could probably probably couldn't be more busy for us. We just sat at home working every yeah. single day. It doesn't really affect us that much because we work from home and the place where all of our stuff is shipped from is like a very, very, very quiet warehouse. And we just we've changed it so that every time someone goes there they they're the only person working there and it's just right. It's just kind of quite I think it's just easier this time, isn't it? It just feels a bit, feels quite normal. I was talking to somebody yesterday about how like work has changed. Like everyone's talking about how, uh, about work has changed for people working at home, et cetera. And Mm -hmm. every way that it's changed, we were already working that way. It's it's been like very, it's nothing about our life has changed. We've always worked from home. We've always worked from laptops. We've always worked remotely. Um, we've always had relationships with our makers that are like heavily rely on digital. So we've got like a Slack channel with our atelier in, in India, and we talk to people in the, the ladies in Thailand over um, over something called Line, which is kind of like WhatsApp. Oh, so yeah. like everybody having to like try and get used to this like quote unquote 
new normal has just always been the way that it's been for us because we could never afford any of the any of the like old world things like an office and that doesn't seem necessary anyway um so not much has changed really the thing that i've noticed that's changed a lot and you know and we'll obviously discuss this is um so a friend of mine works at a fancy university and he's doing this like psychological study on the on how COVID-19 has affected consumer behavior in the sense that because we're kind of stuck more or less, people are looking for some sort of like dopamine hit of something that can be new. Mm. And that has been coming in the forms of just buying tons of things, Mm. just constantly purchasing to get something new in the, in the place that you were that can change your perspective that can shape, you know, where you've been. And one of those things that's that he said, it's like, hundred to one almost is close mm. is that you know right now people I mean even myself like now I'll be honest like budget's not great so I'm you know I'm looking a lot mm-hmm. <laughs> but like going through and just being like yeah you know and whether it's it's someone on one side who's you know we have tons of our listeners who've been like okay I'm gonna pare down the majority of everything I have and mm-hmm. I'm gonna go to these like basic these essentials but in the meantime I'm going to junk all of my clothes and start over, mm-hmm. you know, or some people are just like, I just need more. I just need more. And while in some cases, I think that's good for brands and people like you guys, especially right now, which we'll also discuss later is like this new movement, but it's been, you know, have you seen your, your retail, your, well, your, your commerce and stuff all go up from this? Because I feel like so many people, they just want clothes. They want something new to change what isn't changing inside our direct sales on our website have gone up but i don't know if we can read that as being anything to do with or like having com- it completely because of this because we we had been pl- we we ne- we never had much on our website before we were too mm-hmm. we were too skint to buy stock for ourselves and then we start we've been slowly buying stock so we at the beginning of this um, a few large retailers not only cancelled their orders but then went out of business. So we were stuck with their stock, but we managed to sell like every last piece of it. And so we've just been buying and making more. And I think that there's a demand there to buy from us that we that was sort of dormant, but was always there. And then we didn't have it. We we, we weren't mm. we weren't catering to it. So yeah, probably. But like March and April were our best months that we'd ever had on our website Mm -hmm. and then it just hasn't gone down from that it it literally hasn't gone back down i think i'm not yeah when we're not experts in this kind of thing actually we just like muddle through but the one thing that seems clear about this whole um economic part of the pandemic is that people who are middle class or are in like a certain i don't know social strata where they're not losing their jobs they might be being just be working from home or being put on furlough, have more money and aren't and have a lot of security and they can buy stuff and and they and they still are. And then it's just a lot of people who are trying to make ends meet that are really having to pare things pare things down, like you say. But we've definitely mm-hmm. seen more people buy stuff from us. Yeah, I don't know. People they they say it's for lots of reasons, but I, I'm I'm looking. Like I'm I'm the same as you. I'm just like I wasn't like this before and now I'm just sitting at home most of the time just on my phone going kind of really want to buy something and <laughs> right really yeah. strange it's a new thing for me I haven't but... been like that at all though 
watch. Yeah, but hats. I've I've just been researching. Okay. Oh, we, so oh he's been researching. <laughs> I haven't bought a thing. <laughs> but, but, I mean, That's called window shopping. Yeah. <laughs> like I know the exact my my mindset has always been to like don't buy something unless or like like don't get into something unless you know everything about it. And That's I would say like I'm glad that I never got into drugs because I just, I don't know how to go just tiny bit into something, right? It's hundred percent. Like I used to get in, I was super into Rick Owens at one point, all Rick Owens got into like Carol Christian pool, all that stuff, every clothing brand or book or thing. I just have to be a master at it. Cause otherwise I'm like, well, what, why even bother, you know, buying something if you don't, if you don't know anything else about it, like, but yeah, I'm a serial researcher. That is fully size energy. I can't even that that is that is exactly you. I just fe- <laughs> I just fear buying something and 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 missing out on something that's better because I hadn't wasn't fully educated on it. So if that's I right. if I was to buy a pair of shoes and then two days later find out there's a one in a slightly different colorway, and if I just spent five more minutes researching it that one would have been better then i would have really kicked myself but i was yeah i also find that i mean that's why story is the way that it is because because of our weird obsessive um research research and like trying to like have this like encyclopedic knowledge about stuff before you make a, a move about on something and also being like slight fear maybe of being questioned about something and not knowing the answer like i'd, I'd hate to not know i'd hate for someone to message me I don't think it would ever happen and say, what, what's the, what pH do you have your dive at at? And for me to be, for not know Who that very specific. the fuck is asking that? People don't that. So many people are asking so <laughs> many questions. <laughs> okay. But in fact, like that specific question would be, although it seems absolutely bonkers, would be the kind of thing that the dyers we work with would, would, would say was like real insider information. And that pH is like very secret and they wouldn't want anybody to know. So I would never tell anybody that, but I, I would, I, I need to know myself. Right. Right. That's, that's interesting. Cause I feel like, you know, especially on story too, which I'm, I'd love to talk to you more about, like in terms of brand and clothes right now and, and like overall like vibe, I don't want to say trend. Like, let me, so let's take that and set it aside. But like, there, I don't think there's been a brand that's been more like hyped and talked about and admired than Story in ages. Like all, all my friends that I, that like are the kind of, if you know, you know, folks, right? They're like the ones who, they were in all these bands before everyone else knew. They they knew about this record label before someone else did. And they started to, you know, really rep Story hard. It's so much that in a way, like, they didn't really want to tell me about it because like, well, you know, Jeremy, you, you might tell someone on a stupid it. show. You're going to, you're going to ruin our, our fun little thing. And which sucks. Cause I used to be that guy and I don't want to be, you know, but whatever. And, um, you know, with, with story, I mean that going through like your brand and, and obviously, I mean, I've been aware of it for a while. It's this kind of like perfect inclusive yet, you know, and I'm air quoting sustainable here in a way that's like, this is how every new brand or even older brand wants to try to behave now in the sense that like, we have a transparent relationship with our manufacturing. We are communicating all these different levels about us to our, our 
to our clients and customers and leaning on that as as our strength versus for some people any proprietary manufacturing stuff they're like no 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 we can't you know we can't show how the sausage is made we can't show this and so here you guys come in and launch this brand that in a lot of ways is the antithesis of every luxury company ever but like the you know that's happening now with your brand in this way which i think is good is like you know i want to talk to you how you, you your brand is actually changing an entire industry, not just the consumers that are buying it. That's so nice. I think that we, um, I think I, I, I hear a lot of people say they've just they've just found out about story and 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 we're we're big already, and that like ha- like how did we get how do we get big so fast? But we've been going for like eight years, and and we're not even big. I mean, and we don't even <laughs> I don't think we've really done it. And um, eight years. Yeah, yeah, it's been a long time. And I, I remember, yeah, this is the thing that's surprising. I remember when I, I was reading this thing, this is a bit of a, a like a, a an aside, but I remember reading this thing about Cat Stevens. Do you know who Cat Stevens is? Of course. Okay, <laughs> okay. just check in. Like sometimes I find myself like talking about things that um, I think just are like cross-generational and then young people that we work with are like, I don't know who that is. But anyway, Cat Stevens, I read this. He famously like converted to Islam and changed his name to Yusuf Islam. And mm-hmm. um, I read this thing, this article that he did, and he was saying, and he was asked why the sudden change. And he said to you guys, to everybody else, it seems really sudden. But to me, for the last, I don't know, two decades or whatever, he's been slowly coming to to this change. And it's been this slow change. And for story, like getting in front of your eyeballs and other people's it's been a suddenly it seems like we're in a few places but it's been such a long slow slog it's been we've only just started paying ourselves um like a, a pretty meager salary in the last yeah year two or two years, year, yeah. two years up. and we up until january of this year the whole company apart from the people who make our stuff that we work with was just two of us just me and katie Mm-hmm. Um, and all of the stuff that you're talking about, like transparency and showing stories about how stuff is made, etc. That's all just that's that's all that's really been that's always been there from the start, and it's all been all been very it, it, it's almost inauthentic to call yourself authentic, but it is authentically like how we feel about stuff. And sometimes I think that that comes across well, and sometimes I think it doesn't come across well, like. To talk about transparency, we at the beginning had this like I think misplaced belief that transparency was an, this all important thing, and that everybody should be extremely transparent, and that we need to post a um, we need to have our manufacturers' addresses on the website, um, their phone numbers, people's names and labels. Um, like a list of how much each person got paid of each, for each process and how long everything took in, t- in terms of time. But that was like very quickly we realized, or rather we were told that, that was just like quite, um, what's the word? Disrespectful to people. Mm-hmm. Not everybody wants to know. And not everybody wants, I don't, I don't want how much I got paid per hour on something that I've made for somebody else. Um, so that kind Fair. of thing would be extremely helpful. Yeah, of course. Yeah. When you, when you're like presented the information, like I don't want 
people knowing that you paid me such and such to photocopy documents. Like you don't, it's just like, like, it's like this, it turns people into a commodity. It's just such like, it's such a, it's such a, it's presented as this like very lovely um, liberal thing to do, but it's actually this like weird form, new form of capitalism to like, to like quantify people's times and stuff. So we don't do, we're not, we're actually deliberately not completely transparent to like be respectful of people and stuff and don't put our factory if we haven't asked them and they want it to be there. Oftentimes they don't. People, yeah, so. We, we did uh, mention them uh, like quite a, f a few years ago and they got loads of calls from different people Half of them ended up wasting their time. Do you remember? Yeah, I mean, that's that? the kind of thing that happens. It was such a burden. We thought we were doing the right thing, and it ended up being such a burden for them. Do you remember? Yeah. They were like, really can you please take our you take it off? details off yeah. the website because we're getting called. And they would get, not only that, they would get people who were into story, didn't understand boundaries, who would then go and visit our partners and say, oh, yeah, I know story. And the semantics would get lost. So they would think they were our friends. And oh, so they would no. just walk around the factory taking up factory time, asking to see different processes. Uh, and then we'd get a call like, do you know these guys? And we're like, I don't know who they are. Spoke to them once on Instagram. Or yeah, something. that's it. Or not even. We never found out who those people were. Mm. Anyway, so it's like that. Um, and we yeah. completely missed the question. But. That's kind of the problem too when we're also existing in like a capitalist society in the sense that like these people are going to be like, oh, look at these, you know, goofballs who are posting all of their information let's just go knock them off or yeah. let's go find a way to undercut them because we're going to basically run we're going to knock off their business and run it as a loss to do a customer acquisition strategy and etc cetera, etc cetera. and it's like that's where it gets gross right i mean and kudos to you guys for seeing that and being like eh, let's, let's i literally don't even understand what you just said so i don't even well, know what that thing is that, sorry <laughs> That, well, I mean, that happens. And the other thing that happens is um, it's like the system's to blame, but also like really just really bad behavior is to blame to, to see that we make with somebody and then decide that, okay, that means I, sh I can go and make with them and I can make the exact same product, but put my label in it with no, or I can do the same design somewhere else, like, and not put any work in when we've spent so long doing it. That's That's the bit where it gets really disgusting and really difficult because of course, um, not of course, because I don't think everyone feels this way, but we want people we work with to have as much work as they need and would like to do. We don't want to hide or keep them away. We would never tell anybody to um, not work with somebody else. We would never say don't work with them. They're a competitor, et cetera, et cetera. But we don't want to be put in a situation where, which has happened where our, um, our weaver, for, for example, will say, I've just had a call from somebody who says, who sent me a picture of your fabric and they want me to make the exact same fabric. How do you feel about that? And it's like, of course, we don't feel great about that. Um, but they could just make a completely different thing with the same person, with all the same processes, with all the same care. Um, it just becomes really poor behavior when it's a complete ripoff. Yeah. That happened to a friend of mine who works in tailoring. And so what he just started doing was selling the fabrics. <laughs> he was like, fine, yeah. if you want to, you know, knock me off, why don't you just buy my fabrics in the meantime? So I know we, we have yeah. considered that, but the economics of it just don't work. Fab fabrics yeah. are the most expensive part of it. We, I mean, if we 
if we were to sell the fabrics, people would be even more pissed off about how much they cost <laughs> than they are about the clothes. Well, let's jump back just a, a little bit because, I mean, you said that story's been, you know, going for about eight years. Like, like, uh, like, how did it all start? And I know you have explained this a few times, but just for for humor me. I feel like I've been talking for ages. <laughs> you have been talking for ages. Um, it started um, kind of by accident. Like, we, so me and Saeed were going out and... At the time, I was working as a trend forecaster um, on denim. So I was, like, looking at all these different fabrics all the time and, like, really unusual stuff and, like, really cool stuff. And Saeed would always be like, why can't I buy that? Like, why? how come you don't see that in a shop? And uh, he was like, why don't you do your own thing? And I was like, oh, I could never do that. I, I can't do that. Uh. And um, And I think we just... I think we egged each other on and like got excited about the idea of making something which isn't in the shops using these like fabrics, which no one else ever seems to use because they they take a really long time to make or they're really expensive. And we were like, let's just have a little go. And that, that is really, it is, isn't it? And um, yeah, I, I blame Said. I think it was your fault. You like pushed me into it. But um, so we, we went to a trade fair where they have where they show all the different types of fabrics and we we really didn't know what we were looking for we weren't actually looking for anything specific we had like i think i still have it in my notes like a checklist of qualities that we wanted but like the actual appearance we didn't we didn't have any idea we wanted it to be um organic textural i think i wrote like uniquely textural or something oh there you go and then like um we wanted it to be handmade that was like a, a preferable thing and um we wanted it to be real like as again like what you did like sustainable in yeah air quote as possible and we really wanted i think part of it was that we wanted an, a bit of an excuse to like go traveling and like see see stuff and like see how stuff was made um, so we went to this trade fair and we got talking to a guy who works for a really, really big Indian mill. And I already knew him a little bit from, from my work anyway. And, uh, he's like, Oh, we've got this fabric, but no one's buying it because it's, it's crazy expensive, but it's all handmade. Um, it's called Cardi, which is like this Indian, like very, very traditional Indian hand loom fabric, but they've done this Cardi using natural indigo dyed yarn so it creates a denim but it's hand loom and mm. he's like it's amazing you should you should have a look at it and i was like this is so cool showed side side was like let's just go let's just go see how it gets made like that's the research the research obsessive part of him and uh i think we went like two months later no what was two it? weeks what was it actually yeah oh my god <laughs> hearing like, we, we actually did we actually went with a mission we we went because we had Katie had, had had a like a uh, what's the word? She'd been told about this hundred percent recycled fabric from Spain. Was this with separate? No, thing? no, that was, and we, we were going there to meet the guy that was going to help us get it, and also to go and visit so we could go visit them because it was always that we wanted to see how everything was made. Um, and we got sidetracked by this guy talking about oh, yeah. handwoven denim, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, handwoven denim. I at that point had seen some like some Japanese companies doing handwoven stuff. It was like $2,000. And that guy also told us that it was just part of this social enterprise to get people in rural communities 
um, both like more back re-engaged with um, Cardi, which is this really important cultural thing, but also um, with dying and build this like system like Harris Tweed here has in the UK. Mm. And we just completely jettisoned this 100% recycled <laughs> thing. <laughs> and we had no money, but we just sat in a cafe. We were like, we just have to go. Um, cause I was also starting a new job, like in January, I was like, we have to go over Christmas. Yeah. And we just went, we went two weeks later and he gave us an itinerary. Yeah. He, well, he, told us, he told us like one other place to go, which was like typically in the other side of India. So we ended up doing like two stop offs on this trip. And the one that he recommended to us was, the, is the one that we still work with now. Um, mm because we went there and I'd emailed them in advance saying, would it be all right if we visited? I didn't get a response, but it's in a very, um, it's kind of like in a touristy area. So we were like, do you know what? We'll just go to the touristy area. We thought, thought, and we were like, (laughs) we were like, maybe we can like, we'll just, we'll go stand outside. We'll just go and have a look. We'll just, maybe, maybe they'll see us and maybe they won't. And we'll just try. So we walked for like, I think it was an hour from in the, like sun. in the sun where both was wearing jeans you were wearing boots i remember it was a baking and we got there and i was like they're not gonna know oh god and then they were like oh we've been expecting you and i was like how <laughs> we didn't even know <laughs> anyway and um and yeah and it, they they were so amazing and they showed us all this stuff and we came away with um some like a small amount of fabric that they had that they'd made and that they had extra and they would they were selling and we went to the um we went to the town like the nearest town where we were actually staying in the hotel and we took this fabric and we found um that like in India they have like street tailors so they'll mm-hmm. make they'll make anything um for anybody and we were, we we had like this vintage um is it was it prisoner or was it railroad like a vintage prisoner's denim jacket like all selvage like the the whole thing was selvage like it didn't have any overlocking on it was obviously like very handmade and we were like there's no overlocking so maybe they'll be able to replicate it and the tailor on the street um made the first sample for us using this fabric copying this jacket um which we still have somewhere it's shocking. Oh my god! Poor guy. Like he did it in like I think it took him two days or a day or something. It was. Am I getting it all wrong? Am I gone? Six hours. Oh jeez! Yeah, oh, so much money for that. And then after that, every time we went down that street, he like he saw us coming and he was like, <laughs> <laughs> "Yeah." But um, yeah, that was the first sample. I can't remember how I started this. Well, we just built. We just yeah. built upon that. And we yeah. built on that. <laughs> That's great. Do you think the brand would have started if it wasn't for each of you kind of like empowering each other? No, I don't think no. so. Katie, Katie was like a real um, like lifer, like a real like salary man. And I had never, ever found my place ever. Like what were you doing before then? Um, I was Sounds in, like too creative for a I normal was in job. A, I was in journal. I was I was writing. I was doing like writing for trade magazines and websites. And I when I actually when I just met when I met Katie, I just had such a terrible time looking for work that I'd I was te- I was teaching in Vietnam for a year, and I was oh, actually wow. going to go teach in um, South Korea when I met Katie, and then um, she ruined that nice. for me. <laughs> um 
so yeah, Katie never really found her place. Okay, sorry, Katie had, and I hadn't. And then, and also, I was all I've always been interested in like alternative ways of connecting with people and and that. And Kickstarter was just like it was just like making its way into the mainstream at that point. And there was quite a lot of like denim and jeans brands using the platform in a way that hadn't been used before to crowdsource funding. And and we never did use Kickstarter because it felt a bit like it felt a bit like almost a, a bit, a bit no, I just felt like it was a bit low, not low market, but it, it was a very certain type of brand that was on. You dodged a bullet there. You're good. Yeah. <laughs> it just, it felt like it would brand us to be on there. Like it was very like Silicon Valley, very like menswear, etc. Like yeah. at the time. So we want, I wanted, I, I felt, but, but the thing that it did was it made, it made having a brand that you could connect to a global niche seem like an achievable thing and that, that people would give you some, some funding. Lots of people will give you some small amount of funding in exchange for a product that was part of like a, a bigger project. Um, so we took that kind of like very basic model and just started talking about our project on Reddit and different Reddit subreddits. And um, oh, that's some heavy crowdsourcing. You're going to get some opinionated folks on there. Yeah. And there, there was two subreddits. There's raw denim and male fashion advice. And then, then there was a website called Care Tags all around at the same time and we would just post like this is our this is our project if you want to um and we are we don't have a website but we've got a mailing list and then we would update people on the mailing list every time we had an update on the project and then we would say okay and and soon there's going to be a a chance to buy we're making this gene with this measurement with this factory all all the information everybody would want um and we're going to be selling them for what would be like half price to fund it. And we needed the factory that we made it with needed a hundred pairs minimum to make. And we worked out that we needed to sell, I think 16 or 20 pairs at the price that we made to break even. And so we just like went for it. We were just like, and we just launched it. We took money. Um, I don't remember how we even took payment. We took like, we took one payment in Bitcoin like three paypals and then I bitcoin don't that's not bad um and then that was it and then by the time and that was a pair of jeans and by the time that we'd started selling those jeans i we would t- take pictures of the jacket that we made with that street tailor dude and people were like is the jacket for sale and we were like i guess it could be yes definitely <laughs> so then we did the we did the same sort of crowd sourcing thing for the jacket and then shirts and then just like slowly built up a tiny little range and then built on the range and then built and built and built and always always up until like last season on on a pre-order basis um which is great doesn't always work for everybody but even up until last season even when we made our whole collections that were going out to wholesale stockists anybody could hold anybody could pre-order it yeah. And the only reason it stops is just because it's become this like unwieldy giant beast. So you're ready. You're ready to buy a watch. But where do you go? This weirdo? That site? Are you sure it's legit? Do you know what you're doing? Check Topper Jewelers and start with the best. I've been a fan of Topper Jewelers for everything in the watch world. 
Topper are family-owned and operated for three generations and are an authorized watch dealer for premium Swiss and Japanese watches from Omega, Grand Seiko, Moser, Longines, and more. You're getting the real thing from the right folks. Topper sells the watch you can afford now and the watch you'll buy in the future. It's all through Topper. And if you're looking at something else, Topper also specializes in pre-owned watches, carrying a deep selection of references from Rolex, Tudor, Breitling, and many more that changes every week. And if you're subscribed to Topper's email newsletter, you'll get access to four secret additions to their pre-owned drop every Friday morning, giving you the first right of refusal on the hottest offerings of the season. So visit topperjewelers.com to shop, subscribe, and join Topper's very own watch fam. That's topper, T-O-P-P-E-R, jewelers.com. Well, it's funny because you, I mean, I'm sure you guys realize this is now how every big company wants to behave. And, and yeah. every new company, you know, if you're going to start a brand and you're going to do it right, you know, and so it's going to be, we're going to, we're going to listen to our, our, our clients and we're going to, you know, we're, we're going to have direct relationships with all of our people. Like if Patagonia blew up and wanted to start over again, it would be done this way. Mm. Yeah, I think so. The, the amount of nights and days and conversations we had about the right way to do stuff. I mean, I feel like that's all we've talked about for like for eight years is the, the right the, way of doing stuff. The thing that's clear to me is just the right way is just always to be di- like to be direct, like me to you, me like me me and Katie to the customer, me and Katie to our makers, and not have any levels between us because that's when start stuff starts to break down. Mm. Like it can't. I don't understand. I don't think it can work that a company operates that way if it isn't a company with where it's very small talking talking to people because if somebody asks if somebody wants to pre-order something and they've got questions and stuff they're never going to get in contact with the person who's making it in with those big companies right and that's why even even though we are quite uh, even though we're big enough now to need somebody to manage our warehouse and to have like probably like two, working with 200 people or so mm-hmm. etc when you email um, story or send a message to us or something. It's always comes to me or Katie, and no, it's, it's always, always you. Okay, and, <laughs> and it's, always, it's always thought about and answered by me or Katie because as soon as some level comes between that, then it just doesn't work anymore. It needs, it still needs the like, it still needs that human, that human like part of it to be kept kept to, to be working. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's something that a lot of people are, are kind of not realizing that they're that that's what they love when they're buying a brand is is supporting it in a way that like a, a, a brand or a company is like a football team. And it's like you're, you know, now like the, the economics is separate, but in the sense that like I want to buy and support Saeed and Katie. And mm-hmm. it's not like, oh, boo-hoo, you'd be nothing without me supporting you. But it's just that like it's an emotional connection and an emotional purchase of what otherwise is, you know, what everyone else is doing by something that's just like throwing away. Or it's like, sometimes I, it is though. Yeah. Like sometimes people are like, do try and guilt trip you. Like I'm, I am, I am a customer, and the customer was right, and so oh god, I need that jacket in red instead. Um, no. And something interesting, <laughs> which, which is part of the reason that it is just me answering, or is that when we 
we've we've done it so that we it would be like answered by somebody that wasn't me or Katie with our name at the end of the email. And people are such nasty, nasty, nasty people to people to like staff, but they are lovely to us because they respect like, like there's a level of respect there. So if I answer an email and I don't put my name at the end of it, the answer that I'll get back is like, this is not good enough. Oh. If I answer it with my name, they'll be like, they'll, they'll say, okay, great. By the way, love the brand. It's like <laughs> completely changes the dynamic. That's completely. Not, that's not nice, is it? It's not nice. No, this also happens. Like we, we sometimes like, we've, we've had to be a bit careful about the kind of pictures we post because we're certainly not very big. But one time, Katie posted our managed to post our address <laughs> on on Instagram. Nice. Not not fully, but she <laughs> she posted like a view outside our window and then the location, which was which was like a building name, and then. <laughs> It, I mean, it didn't. It didn't take very much CSI to like triangulate which which apartment we were in, and so like two or three weeks later, I was walking along the street. Someone said, someone stopped me, and they said, "Oh, love the brand. You live in." And then they gave us our address, and I was like, <laughs> "Sorry." <laughs> I was so shocked. I was like, "Do we write it somewhere?" And then I went on Instagram and just checked the address, and it's like all pictures of our house. And when pe- people, when they first find story again, or when they first find story for the first time, they and they see that we've got a decent amount of followers, and that we've got that we now have like a verified badge, and we've got we're in we're in a certain amount of stockists. They become and then and then decide they're going to be a keyboard warrior and say, especially around subjects of like ethics and sustainability and polit- political stuff, will just be like, they'll read one thing, they'll have like a hot take on why we're not ethical because of something that they've recently read. And they'll be like, you guys are actually just greenwashing capitalists or something. Ooh, holy but dire. we will then, if, if we then generally, I mean, I try to ignore it, but sometimes I just have to reply. And then I feel like that diffuses the situation too. And it's like, it serves as a kind of um, like wayfinding thing for other people. If they come along and read something like that and a big brand would never ever cop to something like that or reply or humor it. The power of being like a small brand is that you can, and with nobody between us, is that we can say something. We can like say, actually, our point of view is this. You might not have seen it. The um, power of that, but also the burden of that. Yeah, because that weighs on us so heavily, like emotionally. Like you, yeah. you, you can't sleep sometimes because of answering those. Oh types God! Of, like, yeah, because people will never let you have something nice. There was like a, we had a really nice piece of press the other day, ID Mag. We don't get very much press, or we haven't historically got very much press. ID Mag posted a really lovely photo shoot and an interview with us, and then like, and I was like, "Ah, oh, walking on clouds." And then there's like one comment that's like, uh, "You guys aren't ethical or sustainable because your stuff costs so much." And it, and it's like it can't have anything nice. Like, um. So anyway, but that's but it is it is a burden, but it's the burden of being a company, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's extremely mature of you to look at it that way versus, you know, get so emotional. I mean, and, and it's, it's something you have to, you know, wait and navigate through every single day. I mean, I, yeah, I, I'll occasionally get like, cause I started doing the show, like, I don't know, like four or five years ago, whatever. And I, um, at first it was like me talking to like my friends and, and my mom would give me notes or something like that. Right. It was just <laughs> stupid. But as the show got bigger, you know, it was just like random people and and weird people email, emailing me. And now occasionally 
I'll just get disgusting emails about mm-hmm. any sort of like political affiliation I have as mm-hmm. I'm not a fan of, you know, whatever our new Hitler Trump guy who I just can't wait to drop kick out of the office. But like people would, we did a thing about like black lives matter. We, you know, and it was, it was nuts. And then mm-hmm. I would get emails from people. And for me, I don't know if you guys use this. So I have this thing in, in Gmail that's called like uh, reportive or whatever. But what it does is if that person's email address is connected to LinkedIn, it'll mm-hmm. show you their LinkedIn profile. Uh-huh. So I got an email from this guy who was like, um, you know, I, I don't understand, you know, you, uh, he's like, you're too complimentary of your guests. And, um, you know, you're, you're a very shitty journalist and a poor journalist. And um, you need, he's, he basically was just like, you suck. And I'm like, well, who the fuck is this guy? So I go in and I'm like, hmm, okay, like whatever. And I'm like, all right, this guy manages a, you know, $5 billion hedge fund. And and, oh, look, he's on. Okay, cool. And so I messaged him and gently kind of alluded to the fact that I knew all these things about him. And I was like, hey, you know what? Like, I totally disagree. I don't think I'm celebrating these people enough. I was like, these people are you know, are, are creating something that are, that are, you know, uh, making something that is a part of their own life and extending that out into the world and, and asking for approval and asking for love. And I was like, and these people need to be admired and upheld. And I don't think I'm celebrating them enough. So I vehemently disagree. And I'm sure you would on your recent when you reference this, this, and this. And I was like, fuck yeah, got him. I was like, oh, (laughs) this guy is down. He was so, you know, and the response I got was, Fair enough. Love the show. <laughs> that was it. I was like, such an anticlimax, isn't it? So this is us. Like that. <laughs> I, that that is completely my energy. I've I've really tried to curb that recently because it's too hard. There's this. I don't know if you've seen there's this episode of Parks and Recreation where Leslie Nope, who's a uh, the main character, who's a oh yeah. Um, She's a politician and she wants everybody to love her. And there's this one dude that doesn't. And so she just spends all of her energy trying to trying to turn this one guy who just who just never does. That happens to us. It's happened to me lots of times. Like I'm like, why am I spending so much energy on this person? And like giving them the airtime and 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 like giving them I mean, a lot of people are talking about like energy at the moment and like giving so much energy to to turning those one person. And especially if it if it if it's so close to the edge of feeling like marketing, like it, like me convincing somebody ultimately is, is to say, actually we are worthy of, of somebody's patron, you know, being, being, being bought or sold or being respected. And I don't mm. actually care if people buy our stuff. I don't, I really don't care. Like what I want to tell people is just don't buy it. Like just leave us. Like we're not, we're not, um, and never have been saying that we were, we had the answer to, um, things we're just like part of we're just like part of a lot of things but mm-hmm. we're not trying to be something that we're not but yeah it's i mean now i don't take any dms on my instagram which was the worst one like i used to get equal parts like crazy polit- like conservative political stuff and equal parts like crazy liberal i mean and and like m- like at one point i was getting extremely strange messages about conspiracy theories about like pizza gate stuff <laughs> Oh, you're getting Q and on stuff. Oh man, you're deep into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this is this is the the like the downside of, of having a brand that people really love and connect with. 
in a way, like some of these other companies that like no one's going to send this sort of thing to H&M because no one knows who they're talking to. And no one no one actually in a lot of ways respect the brand enough to try to challenge them to make them think the way that they think. That's and what so we I, say all the time, isn't yeah. it? Well, you wouldn't yeah. message them yeah. because you don't think that you could make a change, but messaging us, you do think you can make a change. And that is that is fair enough. And that's, that's something that we've, we've, we like, cult, we, what's the word? Like, encourage. Encu- yeah, we encourage. Yeah. Although, to be fair, like to be level, I don't, our journey has never been like to try and make people, make customers happy. It's never been to, listen to customers in that way in that if if we were a company that was it's never like we're all we're on our own research trip and our own project and our own journey and and brand and our company is is much more for us and for our partners than it is for our customers our customers like of course we care about making sales and making products that sell and stuff but we and we want to make products that aren't harmful to the customer improve their life um like wear well etc and people enjoy them but the way we make stuff and our our political leanings etc are for the betterment of the people that we work directly with and people whose whose um lives we can directly like make more positive and that's why when questions about price and all that kind of stuff i know when someone says to me i want that exact same product you're making which you tell me costs a hundred pounds to make I've seen comparable ones for half that price. And so I think that you're overcharging and I think that you're being, being nefarious. Um, that's why when people say that, I'm, I'm just starting to really disconnect with caring about even answering them because we aren't making lots of money. We're paying what um, is fair um, and doing a lot of other stuff with the money and fostering more interest in craft, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but it's not but you just don't have to buy it and we're not making it to to we're not making it to try and level the social playing field in the west we're trying it to we're 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 designing stuff and paying prices that re-level stuff with the people we make if that makes more sense yeah no make- exactly yeah like like the 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 re- what you're asking for from us if you if you say something like that is you want us to pay less um, because I don't truly think people think we're just pocketing loads of money. We're clearly not. Um, so the pe- people that, I mean, it, it's now becoming a bit more apparent to people, I think from social media, that the people that bear the burden of cheap clothes are the people that make them, not the people that buy them generally. One of the things that happened, like when your brand had launched, and, and I know that you guys were discussing that, you know, you were kind of going this direct to consumer model and, and you were making these like very interesting, you know, hand woven fabrics and, and handmade garments. But the styling of how it was all put together was was and is still some of the most refreshing and exciting ways that like I've seen clothes out there. And I think that's one thing that doesn't really get talked enough about your brand because so much of the the story for many people is just how you do your business, but how your brand is displayed and how story looks on people from the, you know, just the, the way the garments flow and well, you know, something oversized, something that the geometry of the design is incredible. And I was curious, like where that came from. Um, I don't know. Me and Katie, I would say, <laughs> I'd say probably like Katie more. In the I beginning. would say you more. 
we've just got a very particular we've got a very particular style that we like we like certain shapes like we katie especially and then me also really likes but things to look very a-line with like more we're more interested in the clothes than people's bodies mm. and i think that not not that we don't care about it at all but i just think that when you make something that's really nice it, it looks good in everybody's home and the same with clothes like something that that can look good on lo- lots of different bodies and different styles and stuff we really like how people style people style things differently yeah and like we like when stuff fits a bit weird like vintage stuff always is a bit there's something not like i feel like for the whole of my career people have always put so much emphasis on fit and it being the perfect fit and is it fitting right and i feel like that doesn't i just we never cared about because that. what that mean what fit means is trend like it's and, like and flattering yeah like, like does uh, it does it currently make your bum look big that, mm. but, but 20 15 years ago does it make your stomach look flat mm. um and we we like stuff that just you look comfortable and easy that that's like how, how we want to dress and we like craft obviously and that's like a very visual thing but we also really love things that are naive like either naive in the way that it looks like almost a bit kiddie or naive in the way that it looks like it's someone's first time embroidering or something or like that's really interesting could you could you give me an example of the naivety like like old like old um denim jackets that you find in like a flea market that someone's nan has embroidered and like and and you're like but it's so cool because of that like you couldn't you couldn't get a designer to to design that because it's come from some like it's come from an experience. Yeah. Or like yes. in, in terms of fit, like you might find people in denim like know this a lot a lot that you might there might everybody might covet this jacket that fits poorly, um, or has like an unusable tiny pocket that was made for carrying matchsticks or something. <laughs> right. Um, and we just <laughs> like that because it's very unusual. And then in terms of like more visual stuff, like Katie said, like finding. We we have to like build build in naivety because we the the embroiderers we work with who Katie started by teaching them how to do it and now they've completely surpassed us. If we if we gave them like a vector, they could make it look like it was done by a machine. So we have to do a bad job and then they copy the bad job to make it look kind of like Katie said, squiffy. <laughs> did I say squiffy? I think you did. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, also, I like. I feel like part of that naivety is also us. Like I don't have a tailoring background. I was totally shit at pattern cutting at uni. There's certain things which I will never understand and quite frankly don't care to understand. And for us to try and do a brand where we shoehorn things which aren't us or don't feel like us into it, like like the perfect collar fold. I don't even know what that's called. Like that is sure. wouldn't right would it mm. like and, it would just be too hard and when we started we obviously these fabrics hand woven embroidery um crochet all these things like they they already have a place in fashion they you see them in like head shops and like hippie like old hippie stuff and it's they're always made like in a certain way and we wanted to make sh- we, we we knew that they we had to take these fabrics out, out of traditional context and make them because it to say that we like stuff naive is is just is just a visual thing. We like it to be made extremely well, extremely carefully, so that it lasts a long time. But look handmade and have evidence of handwork. That's the one thing that can be really, really missed by people. 
like the ones we work with who are like on top of their game, they're complete artisans and experts. They can make a fabric or an embroidery or, or, or a knit that looks like it's done by a machine because it's so perfect. So we have to take it a couple of steps back. And so that there is like some evidence that the hand has been involved somewhere, Hmm. something that a machine couldn't do. Yeah, that's, no, that's that's really cool, and, and I think you know what, one of the things too that I, I love so much about story is is like how inviting the brand is to other people and, and approachable. And I say that in a complimentary way because you look at a lot of I don't know, say like high fashion brands, you'll see it and you'll see it on someone, and you're like, yeah, I don't think I'm ever going to look like that, or I'm never I'm never going to feel like that, and I wouldn't know how to put it together right, so I'm just going to go this way. But mm. so much of your stuff is like is is interchangeable. It's I I feel like with story like you don't you're not buying um looks, you're buying pieces versus mm. other companies, you're you you have to buy the look. Right. Yeah. And, and I think that goes back to what, you know, you were originally talking about in which you're like, you're making pieces that last in which it's not going to be like, oh, fall winter 2020 story. Mm-hmm. It, it's a very different than fall winter 18. You know, like you, you yeah. can't put that stuff together, but you can, you wear it all. Yeah. And yeah, I exactly. really like that. I think that's part of people talk about seasonless and part of sustainability to, to like have some, we bring in things and leave them behind, et cetera, et cetera. But, but to, to have to like have some integrity and stick to what works and what th- like items that work, like we, the top that I'm making that, that we're wearing now, we've had since like what 2016, uh, 2015, that would have been oh, wow. until now. And I think we'll make it for the next 10 years. Yeah. Um, and you can just, if you do like it, you can buy one anytime you can buy one in a sale or on grailed that is prop that is four years old and it'll fit and feel just like the one that's new. And we just bring in more value by making different, slightly different fabrics or um, different dyes or et cetera, et cetera, for the people who want something that is new and different to the one they've got or something. Or and whatever. also for ourselves, because we have to keep doing different things. Otherwise and exploring. we would just, we'd just be so bored, wouldn't mm. we? <laughs> Yeah. Well, one thing, I mean, you had mentioned Grailed. I, I'm curious, like, how do you feel about the fact that um, a lot of, you know, that people are learning and discovering your brands, but, you know, but are buying it secondhand? Great. Really good. Yeah. Yeah. Ideal. We've got like a, we've got like a very, we've got like a basic, a base level of money that we need to have coming in. Mm-hmm. And if as long as as long as we're all getting paid and make and and happy then then everything is fine and we would love people to sell stuff on second second hand all of that stuff encourages like more enjoyment of the brand yes i, I even though we are like we have a brand etc i i don't have that much money and kate doesn't have that much money when we want to buy something we buy it in the sale or second hand um Etc. So I'd never bemoan anybody buying secondhand or sale. We love it. It's the best. Like it's also such a good and honest um, reply when people say your stuff's too expensive. It's like buy it secondhand. You don't have to buy it from us mm. um, right now at point of purchase. Like we we would love it. We celebrate it a lot. There's a there's a there's a post on our website about stuff that's worn in 
but from us and we like how it's worn in and we're, we're going to post about this again it's been like a year now and um, we give people discounts when they send us pictures of their worn in story stuff to buy a new one we we love it i think it I really encourage people buying our, our old stuff um, that's great yeah and like we still get messages saying oh do you are you still selling that jacket from like autumn into 16 or whatever it is it's like no but then they go off on like a hunt or like a mission to like find the thing and then we'll we'll forget about it and then we get a message saying just wanted to let you know i found this jacket on ebay or whatever it is <laughs> that happened really recently and it's such a known thing like it's i'm, I'm sure there's a i'm sure there's a, a good socioeconomic name for that kind of thing that and it's probably a business model that people do like i don't think that luxury handbag places hate that people buy their secondhand stuff because it, it keeps it keep it, it creates uh it creates a value around your brand you exactly. know that there's a secondary market um some people people like me who would be who might need who might want to buy something that's quite expensive i would buy it and probably not sell it more happily if i thought that i could sell it later on yeah yeah and the, the fact that like your wardrobe is a little bit more malleable in the sense mm-hmm. that, you know, it, you're not just getting things at sunk costs if you yeah. evolve or whatever. I mean, you can kind of continue to move forward with that. And yeah, and I think that's great that a lot of, you know, especially like you guys that are embracing that versus some people, they just want to hide it. You know, I mean, when you think about like the watch and jewelry industry, right? It Look, I mean, geez, look at Rolex, right? Only until maybe the past five years did Rolex actually publicly acknowledge that vintage watch sales were okay and approved you know it used to be if, if you sold vintage and you also were an ad and sold new sorry you couldn't exist um they keep that stranglehold on on their market they, i think with a company like them they they will have they will have only just recently done that but they would have also they, 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 they've enjoyed the benefits of it of, oh, yeah. of, of the market for, forever exactly yeah yeah and it's just like for i think there's more people like you and i say that like get into something and want to learn everything they can about it you know Mm -hmm. i'm i'm sure there's probably someone on reddit or someone somewhere who's like this collection that story did is the absolute best and i'm going to make my own archive and collect all these things and build it over that's awesome that's that's what that's the kind of thing that we would love to foster because it also it sort of acknowledges the the actual value of the work that we have like we 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 value the amount of time we've put in something and the amount of that we've researched and for somebody to treat our clothing like they treat a vintage submariner or something and say this was the first season that they did such and such dye and you can tell because they had a um like they always had a type of stitch on the pocket that then was never present and then it's the same brown jacket that we yeah. still currently make, but people want that brown one because it was a, because it was from it was emblematic of something. That's really really nice. We 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 benefit from that like hugely. We just don't make that particular sale, but it also means that we can leave stuff behind. Like that's the most freeing that thing. Someone will me and Katie. We talk. We like review like talking about next collection, and we're like, what about such and such jacket? And we can just say if someone wants that. There are plenty of those out in the world. Let's, mm. let's just move on. Like, there's certain. There are ten of them out in the world. <laughs> but some, something there's a lot. Like we, we've got one item that we just wanted to like. We just wanted to move away from, and another brand would be really stuck 
to making it because it works for them. We leave behind and stop selling so much stuff that's working. Like almost the, almost at the point that it starts working, we're like, okay, that's enough. Bored. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because, yeah. because we're bored of it or because it feels like the whole world has turned onto the same thing or, you know, a type thing or, or if suddenly the thing, the thing that seems to happen most often is that we'll make a shirt shape or a trouser shape or something. And it seems like, I don't want to be too grand about it, but it seems challenging. Like it's a little bit wider than usual or, or it's a bit baggier or something. And then before you know it, two or three years later, it seems actually kind of normy and you can buy that anywhere. And mm. actually that, that's, it sort of doesn't present anything new for the person and it isn't that interesting to us anymore. And even though that now means that people are used to that kind of shape and they now finally want to buy it, we're like, it's not really, it's not really where we are. Like our, our function in, in the machine of things is to be a bit more directional. And the thing that kills brands is when they stop and they don't change things. Um, so yeah, we've left behind so much stuff. We stopped selling shirts that were working great for us because we wanted to make a, a more a more weird shirt. <laughs> Are there any like brands that you both think about that you're like, oh, like this is where I'd like us to be down the road or like things that you kind of model how you want story to evolve to? Honestly, I feel like it's more like the opposite. Like we say, oh, why don't why doesn't story do homeware like story homeware would be amazing <laughs> do you know what I mean? get those fabrics on bed sheets let's go yeah right yeah there are there are brands that i we like look at and learn lessons from like in terms of their staying power but but not i think some brands justify doing like okay like a brand like visvim or something where they have like they do a lot of craft based stuff and they've got a menswear audience. They make what's ostensibly like quite a like boring product. And then you like a pair of jeans that just like a worn pair of jeans. And then there's several thousand pounds, that kind of thing. Jesus. Like we, we, we like draw energy from, we're like, okay, people are paying people. People are might criticize us for being expensive, but we're like a 10th of what they charge. And it's probably yeah. a lot more work. Whatever. So we, we look at brands like that and we're like, they, they must, They've got a lot of staying power, and then there's other brands, like other like contemporary brands of ours that just might be working within the system like we are, but doing things slightly differently, like Brain Dead, where they're just like constantly dropping small new products, like extreme focus on collaboration. They're just there's there's a lot of people trying trying new things at the moment, and 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 most importantly succeeding. But there's no brand that we would like to be like. I feel like that's also kind of like the making not wanting to make wide trousers anymore if everybody's making wide trousers like it, it starts to feel a bit icky mm-hmm. if we feel like we're approaching being like another brand like chasing the trend yeah yeah or it's just like if someone else is doing it there's not really much point doing it because i don't know yeah no there's our cap i mean capital obviously that's that they're so they also have they, they they've got like quite a naive style about stuff even though clearly they could they could not be so naive it's a lot of japanese brands that take take like risks in terms of fit and stuff like that but i don't see very many brands that operate the way that we do and that's the most important thing to us i think that's great katie i know you had kind of announced on your own social that you're expecting how has that changed any of uh how you know how you guys think or what you guys are preparing for oh immediately i was like we have to do kids wear (laughs) (laughs) right there you go 
that's how yeah you want to make money go after the parents mm-hmm. who like us yeah. i just shop for my little my daughter i just want like yeah. mini polite pullovers that's i can't stop thinking about them but i don't even know how we would start and i feel like there's probably all these like rules and regulations with kids wear that don't apply i don't i don't know did you say there's not there's not there's not yeah i don't think there are um to be like it hasn't really changed i don't feel like it basically we've got no idea what to expect so we can't really plan for anything but we're quite like we have this absolute terror of a dog now she woke up by herself Like party is is a good practice because she's very time consuming, mm-hmm. um, and we're we're pretty flexible people. Like we work from home, like we were saying earlier, and I feel like it's gonna be all right. <laughs> we had a uh, we had a dog first, and that was she was like our first daughter, and then we had our daughter Harriet almost three years ago, um, and it's. I think the best thing that happened at least for my wife and I that we didn't expect is um, we both like fell in love with each other more than ever because you, I mean, just from our experience, we had this thing where it was like, you know, you both kind of get kind of frustrated with each other at times. And then you see how when each of you becomes a parent, how you rise to the occasion. Just, you know, I was watching my wife like be a mom and I was like, Oh man, you're, you're incredible. You know, and she saw me doing whatever fatherhood crap and she was just like, you know, and so in, in a way the, the craziness like made our relationship closer than we've ever been before. Uh, it's that people that that's like such a question that we get asked, like how, what's it like working with your partner? And, and people always expect us to be like, Oh, we've got all these coping mechanisms because of how difficult it is. But the truth of it is that just like, that it's that, we're that, nothing without a story like we've we, got no relationship we love we love working together and like you said um i'm just like so proud and constantly like impressed by the things that katie does and the things that she comes up with and we like we really love like it, it's it really like we really i feel like we really impress each other sometimes like i can't wait to show like when you're a kid and you clean your room and you want your mom to come and look at it it's a terrible I'm, I'm like we're saying with, with when, when we have to do something like we're currently working on a new website and every time I, I make one small one small change I'm like look at this look how good this is <laughs> and the same and and, and Kate I'm, and whenever Kate does something I'm just like so I'm so I'm so lucky that we that we have each other and that we've got skills like uh, I've got so many pro- issues myself like I can't talk on I, I just got quite quite terrible phone anxiety something that would be debilitating if you, if i didn't have katie mm. who can just talk on the phone because it's actually just a completely normal thing to do and i just tell them terrible jokes and then, and then... And, Kate, Kate, <laughs> and katie katie's got shortcomings too which i can fill in and then we've got <laughs> that's great well this was great i'm really i'm first of all, i'm excited for you, you guys and your family but um Thank thanks so much for for chatting with me this was this was a lot of fun you too thank you bye 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 you've been listening to blamo our theme music is by the mysterious breakmaster cylinder we're edited by brendan finn and we're produced by blamo media follow along with us online at blamo podcast and leave a review for us on your favorite podcast app look i don't get reviews either but they help the show so do it for the beat 
If you want even more Blammo, head over to patreon.com forward slash Blammo to join the Blam fam, and you'll get access to additional interviews, our community Slack, special events, and more. Thanks so much. See you soon.